This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. with it. He'll sidestep one tackler and gets to the 20. Corey Watson inside the 10. Touchdown Eskimo. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. It is Boxing Day. Did you get out shopping today? You try to find some deals? Or was this a day to stay on the couch and recover from Christmas dinner? Either way, I hope it was a good day. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Ched. And we are going to have some fun tonight because this is a best of edition where you will hear some of the best interviews we have had on this show in recent weeks. And we're going to kick it off with a great football interview. Ed Ilnicki, U of A Golden Bears star running back, he became the Heck Crichton Award winner back on November 23rd, the best player in Canadian university football. He joined me on the show just moments after winning the award. We had this great conversation. Can you name somebody who doesn't play or coach for the U of A Golden Bears football team who you most owe this award to? <laughs> Uh, it's my grandpa. It's my uh, my namesake, uh, Edward Olnicki, who is I, is my roommate. He's um, I've been living with him since my first year of university. My grandpa's 91 years old. He um, he's been living on his own since since uh, my grandmother passed away about 11 years ago. So when I moved in uh, at the start of my university career, it just it was something that it worked out really well because he was very close to where we do all of our training at South Campus. And it's really special to be able to get to share, share this kind of time together. And I know that he's back home and he's very proud of everything that I've been able to accomplish. And I think this award means just as much to him as it does to me because he's been a, he's been a part of it every step of the way. Does he come to the home games? Yeah, absolutely. He does. He's been at. He's been able to come to a lot of our away games too, thanks to Coach Morris putting together the charter charter program and getting us to fly out to a lot of our games. So he's been able to join me for a lot of that. So for a guy his age, he's been able to live one hell of a life so far, and I just hope he gets to continue to be a part of mine. Is he with you today? No, he wasn't able to make the trip out, but I was able to talk to him as soon as I uh, as soon as I received the award and. Yeah, he was very he was very excited for sure. What did he say? <laughs> he through the sobs, <laughs> he was very proud. He um he just said he just said how proud he was and how much it should mean to me and how much I need to enjoy it because it's something that doesn't happen to very many people and I need to really cherish that. What is what have you learned most from your grandpa or how does he inspire you? 
Um, he's just taught me to love every single person that comes into your life and to treat everybody with just such a tremendous amount of respect and to get the most out of every every encounter you get. He's, he's one of the kindest people I've ever met and has one of the best attitudes of anybody who I've ever, yeah, just like every situation. I've, I've never seen him down. Even even the times when he's been really sad, you know, it's just coming from a place that he's he's so happy for what he's been able to accomplish and what he's been able to see. So it's just cherishing every single moment and every single encounter you get. Man, that's a bit of a tearjerker, isn't it? Ed Ilnicki, Heck Crichton Award winner from the U of A Golden Bears. When we get back, another incredible football story. We caught up with a guy just days before he was playing his last game as a pro inside sports on 630 Chet. Hi, this is Ryan Eugene Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Hey, good to have you along for the ride tonight. How does an athlete know when it's time to say goodbye to the sport that he loves? Well, Marco Iannuzzi had to make that difficult decision earlier this year. Receiver for the BC Lions, also with ties to Edmonton in his football career, as you're about to hear. So the Lions uh, weren't going to make the playoffs, so I talked to Iannuzzi leading up to his final game in the CFL. Yeah, you know, every everything's the last. You know, yesterday was the last Monday. Today's the last Tuesday, you know, the... I'm joking with the guys. I even said, hey, this this is the last time we're going to be having arguments together in the locker room. This is the last time we're going to be sharing laughs. So uh, uh, it, I'm just enjoying every second and uh, just looking back and sharing some memories with some guys. And uh, no, it's really special, but uh, uh, it's definitely getting emotional. How much are you going to miss that camaraderie and maybe that, that safety of the locker room where you're with the guys that you play with, like you said, maybe joke around with or even argue with sometimes? How much will you miss that environment? Um, you know, here's the thing. is, is I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss it, but I'm telling you this, I'm excited to move on. Uh, that's how I know it's the right time to move on. You know, I, I have another year left on, on this contract, and, and I wanted to go out on my own terms. And, uh, and as I told myself for the past two months, I woke up every morning saying, okay, I'm going to retire. Uh, how does it feel? I'll go through the day and, and sort of do a checklist of things I'm going to miss, things I won't miss type thing. And, and uh, you know, I'm at the point right now where it just feels right. Um, so I'm going to miss, obviously, the, the guys in the locker. I'm going to miss, uh, uh, you know, these camaraderie. But at the same time, what made these things so special is that they, they don't last forever. You know, some of these guys, uh, you know, that I played with over the past seven years as a pro, I, I only played one year with them. But if I run into that guy 10 years from now, 20 years from now, uh, I can remember a whole lot of memories with him. So I think that's what makes it so special is that it does come to an end and, and you really have to cherish and enjoy every moment. Marco Iannuzzi joining us on Inside Sports, ready to play his last CFL game for the BC Lions this weekend. You know, Marco, I w- want to look ahead, obviously, but first let's look back a little bit because you're a pretty interesting guy with, with an interesting career, which included a year uh, with the Edmonton Huskies in 2005 when yeah. the team won the junior championship. And we were just talking during the break here before we came on air. Uh, my cousin, Bo Onischuk, uh was a linebacker yes. on that team, and you immediately remembered the name yeah oh yeah Bo for sure uh, so we show up to training camp it was uh it was probably 35 degrees every day uh down under the high level bridge there at, at husky house and uh of course in our downtime in between um practices everyone else is gassed i remember i was getting catches them z's in my truck 
And all of a sudden, I hear this like this this whizzing engine rip right by me. I'm sitting on the edge of the parking lot, and and this engine goes right by. I'm like, what the heck was that? It sounds like a super bike or something. Well, I hear it again. I hear it again, and finally, out of the corner of my eye, I see this this giant linebacker on this little mini pocket bike, one of those little tiny like uh, circus bikes. And he's zipping around the parking lot, and in his downtime, instead of taking naps, he's riding that thing. While everyone on the team is laughing and cheering him on, until he's he, you know he's going by the the rows. You hear the sound, then you don't hear the sound. You hear the sound, then you don't hear the sound. Then all of a sudden, you hear this big crash bang boom. He hit this, he hit a speed bump, and the whole thing fell apart under him. Poor guy had road rash all over his shoulders for the rest of training camp. Could barely put his shoulder pads on, but the guy was tough as nails and, and still was our best linebacker on the whole year. Oh, well, that's awesome, and that was a special year for sure. Because uh, yeah, like I said, you guys won it all. And uh, that was that your only year in Edmonton? Did you go? Did you go to Harvard right after that, or what was the progression there? I wish that was uh, uh, my. I went to Harvard right after okay. that, but uh, no, I, it took me a while. So I, uh, so I went obviously all the way through Calgary for the high school. Uh, came out to Edmonton, played junior ball. We were we were zero and three. Uh, everyone in in the city, the media was was saying that we were the worst in the, on the planet, and we ended up being Road Warriors, won eight straight, and, and won the national championship. So it was a special year. Um, after that, I, I applied to Harvard again for the second time. Um, and they had 200 pages of application, 100 pages from the previous, 100 pages from the current, sitting at that table with 37, uh, you know, interviewers from admissions. And, uh, you know, they looked at me and said, well, what were you doing last year? I said, playing junior football in Edmonton. And they said, well, wh- what else were you doing? And I guess I didn't really make myself a more well-rounded person that they wanted. So I had to go up to uh, Ohio for another year and play prep school ball and then reapplied a uh, third year to Harvard, 300 pages of application that finally got in on that third time. That's incredible. Uh, and look, I, I always ask people about balancing athletics and academics. I, at Harvard, I just, you know, you say the name Harvard, but was that another level in terms of balancing your schoolwork and uh, and trying to be an excellent football player as well? Well, you know, when, when I uh, didn't get in the second time, the, you know, the admissions officer said to me, he said, well, listen, you're not going to make it here because you've been outside of academia for the whole year when you were in Edmonton. You, you were just taking courses by satellite. I said, well, I, I was a good student. He's like, well, you're not ready to do, you know, a thousand pages of reading a week, a hundred pages of writing a week, um, two problem sets a week. That's a, that's a typical week. And I, I said to him, thousand pages of reading, like, what the heck? Like, that sounds like, like three novels all at once and hundred pages of writing. I said, this guy must be exaggerating. Well, sure enough, when I got there, no joke, I, I think I'd written a combined hundred pages of essays in my previous, you know, six years of school. And Sure enough, that first week I had a you know 23-page paper due, a 25-page paper due, and and the list goes on. So all those stats were exactly right. It was tough, but you adapt really quick. Just you know, we're we're all um, you know of the same mind. I think people, when you're put in a tough situation, you you adapt and figure it out. So I'll put it this way: I wasn't sleeping a regular night and day at Harvard. I was doing about two hours every ten hours. So wherever I was, if I was in the air-conditioned locker room, I'd catch two hours before morning lift. Uh, if I was in a, the stacks of the library, you know, eight floors below ground, uh, I'd catch a couple hours there. Uh, it was just really tough, and, and but that's all I knew at the time. So now, whenever life gets whenever life gets tough and, and overwhelming, now I just think back. Hey, there was a time when I didn't have night or day. Uh, when I had NCAA football, I had Harvard. My wife and I actually got married in our second year. We had our first daughter in our third year. So uh, life was harder at one time, and it just made me stronger and, and forged me uh, to be who I am today. Well, that's an amazing experience, Marco. Marco Anuzzi from the BC Lions joining us on Inside Sports. Played for the Empton Huskies. He's talking about his experience at Harvard. What did you study there? 
Well, I started out economics pre-med. Um, I always, uh, my mother has MS, so I always wanted to do something in the medical field, become a researcher, uh, uh, to, you know, help cure MS type thing. And about two years in, uh, with my economics degree, I, I launched a, um, a financial group with three other guys. So we were trading foreign exchange currency, and, and we started out as a digital project, just as virtual money. And before we knew it, our algorithms were doing quite well. So we raised a little cash, and we turned five thousand bucks into one hundred and eighty thousand bucks, and you know, uh, three weeks and, uh, we, we had a full viable business rolling. So, um, at that point I realized, okay, I don't need the rest of my economics degree. I can sort of launch this business anywhere in the world from now on. So how about I go a different route? And because I had all the pre-med, um, in my back pocket, I was able to convert my degree into, um, architecture and environmental science. The only, the only holdup was that because, uh, because I did it so late, Harvard didn't want me to take their architecture courses, uh, they didn't want me to join in uh, sort of late to the party, so I cross-registered. I said, I said, forget you guys. I cross-registered at MIT, and I took all my architecture courses at MIT. They counted towards my, my Harvard degree, and I sort of focused in the, in the realms of uh, architecture, environmental science, and engineering science at Harvard. So were you thinking that you might play pro football, or, or did that kind of come up unexpectedly when you wound up with the Lions? Uh, no, I, if, if anyone on a pro football field just appears there one day unexpectedly, they're telling you a lie because <laughs> you gotta, you, you gotta work your butt off and you gotta give yourself, uh, you gotta give your body to be a pro athlete. So no, I always wanted to be a pro. Um, but I just remember when I was a young kid, um, one of my first childhood memories was actually of my mom. Uh, when, when she was diagnosed with MS and I remember asking her why she couldn't play with me that day. And, and she told me that sometimes your body doesn't allow you to do the things you wanted to do. So make sure you have your mind trained just as well as your body. And, um, you know, I, I was always keeping that in my mind if, who knows if I were to get hurt or struck with some sort of uh, disease of some sort or who knows what it would be. But, uh, I just always worked the best I could on both sides, whether it be sports, um, and, and academics and, and, uh, you know, I, I uh, had a tough go in, in three year, or four years of uh, university. I had three shoulder surgeries. Uh, all of them required multiple screws. I think I have two plates and 18 screws all total. When you know you're a surgeon by first name basis, it's not a good thing. Um, but but I, did, uh, I did launch three businesses. Every time I had an injury, I, I used it to get myself away from sports and to get myself my mind working on something else. So it was a blessing in disguise. And uh, when I came to the draft, you know, I might have been drafted uh, higher. I was drafted in the first round, but a couple teams passed me up uh, because they thought, man, this guy's made of glass. He's going to get hurt. And, and who knows? He, like you said, he's just, this, he's just a Harvard guy. He just wants to be a, an academic, a businessman. He doesn't want to play football. But I, was, I told him I did, and Wally believed me, and then they drafted me. And, and hey, I'm, I'm glad that we get to live year-round in, in beautiful B.C., and, and we've had a lovely time raising our children here as well. All right, so... You know, I was reading about you, and you're involved with several organizations and, and charities and, and helping people out. Um, mm-hmm. I, where, where, do you, where do you get all this energy, Marco? I mean, it's incredible. Well, I mean, I think everyone at some point in their life, they, they realize that, that it sure feels good to help others out, and it sure feels good to give when you can. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, they might realize it too late. So I, I just... I knew that my mom was always struggling with MS and I always wanted to help out and, and, uh, you know, I'd helped out heavily in, in, in MS for the MS society and, and actually the branch out neurological foundation based out of Alberta. And, and, uh, I quickly realized that people were coming to me and sharing stories with me about someone in their family affected by autism or, or cancer or diabetes or, or just any, you name it, uh, just so many different things out there affecting, uh, someone in their life. And, it, and they felt the same way about that person in their life 
that I felt for my mother and MS. So I thought it was a bit selfish of me just to focus on MS, and I just started helping out. So I, I learned a talent. I looked up on YouTube how to be an auctioneer, a live auctioneer, and put myself out there as a live auctioneer. And, and uh, I, I've been helping out with, I've raised over uh, six million bucks with all the charities I've helped help with. And, um, you know, I just tried to show up and, and put a smile on and, uh, you know, just share, share connections, share stories with people because in the end, you know, you can't play football forever. Uh, you can't do everything forever. But one thing that is forever is you're always around people. And uh, you're always uh, embracing each other and helping each other. And uh, if you can start that out at, at, you know, the age of 23, 24, and, and I get 75 more years of helping people out, it, it's, a, it's a really nice feeling. Do, do I dare ask you, can you do some auctioneering for us on air? Right. Can, can, I, can you do it uh, on sure. demand? All right, I get it. I, I got a football rate. How many been now? One hundred. How many been now? One hundred. One hundred. No, one hundred. How many been now? One and a half. One now. One and a half. Now one and a half. How many now? Two. How many been now? Two. How many been now? Two. 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 Now two. Sold. 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 Two hundred dollars. That is incredible, Marco. <laughs> wow. Uh, it's been great to get you get to know you a little bit and uh, let people know about your journey. And uh, obviously, you know, you're you're in a market where people were cheering for you when you were younger against you when you went pro but uh, i'm sure you always enjoyed uh coming back to edmonton to play what what's the focus going to be now is it going to be family is it going to be uh the auctioneering and the charities is it are you going to coach uh what are you what are you going to do now well you know i i've uh, I, I don't think i'm going to do um coaching that's for sure if i i want to stick around with the bc lines organization perhaps if there's an opportunity but more so on the business side i'd, I'd love to be uh, you know, I'll go as bold as saying I'd love to be the first 30-year-old president of a, a CFL football team. Um, but, uh, you know, over the past six years, I have been working on my uh, my wealth management practice at RBC. So I, I manage, you know, retirement portfolios for a number of clients. Uh, so that's, that's really my bread and butter. Um, but, you know, I, I've been binary, and how I've found success in everything I've done is, is whatever I'm doing at that moment, at that second, I'm giving it my all, my full attention. I'm not multitasking. I don't believe in multitasking. So but when I'm with my family, we're at the park playing. I'm with my family. I'm not on my phone. And, and I actually even schedule time in my calendar to say, okay, this is family time. You know, this is work time. This is practice time. Um, you know, I treat everything. Uh, I give everything its full attention. And so to answer your question is I'm going to continue doing everything. <laughs> I'm going to be involved with these charities. I sit on three boards right now, and uh, I can't say no. It's tough for me to say no. I said I was uh, over capacity. I wasn't going to do another charity. And sure enough, the, the Vancouver um, – Food Bank just came to me, and I'm joining their board next week. So I, I just I love helping out, and I love giving my all. Um, I love help spending time with my kids. I'm going to start coaching their soccer. Uh, hopefully there's something I can do in this organization here, and then I'll continue my wealth management business as well. Marco, thanks again for sharing your story. I hope you light it up in your final game coming up this weekend. Thanks for spending time with us on Inside Sports tonight. Thanks for having me, and, and shout out to all of uh, the, the Edmonton fans. I know that a lot of you have reached out to me on social media, and, and uh, you, you hate when, when us Lions are playing your, uh, your Eskimos, but uh, you guys have all shown me a ton of support uh, when I'm playing all those other teams. So, so thanks for the continued support. My, my one year in Edmonton uh, means a lot to me. Thank you. That's Marco Iannuzzi. Incredible story. Great interview. I think he's one of those guys. He's going to be uh, very fine after his football career comes to an end. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Still ahead, you'll hear from Eskimos receiver Kenny Stafford and former Canadian heavyweight boxing champion Ken Lacusta. All coming up. This is Cam Talbot from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chet. We have an Oilers game tomorrow. They are going to visit the Winnipeg Jets. Face-off show will be at 4.30. The game will start at 6 here on 6.30. Chet, 
one of two meetings this week between the Oilers and the Jets. They're going to play again at Rogers Place on New Year's Eve. My name is Reed Wilkins. Really appreciate you tuning in tonight. Hope you had a great Christmas. Hope you've had a relaxing Boxing Day. This is a best of edition, so we feature some of our best segments from recent weeks. You know what was really cool? Kenny Stafford, a receiver for the Edmonton Eskimos, uh, has a degree in communications, and one day on Twitter, he said, hey, if anybody uh, wants me to talk sports on your sports talk show, get in touch. So I just tweeted him back and said, Kenny, why don't you come in tonight? I wasn't expecting a reply, but I got one moments later. And that night, Kenny Stafford came in studio. Of course, we talked football. We talked about him winning the Grey Cup in 2015 with the Eskimos. But the highlight of the interview was Kenny telling you how he recently met his father for the first time. Nine months ago in March, I was I hired someone to find my father. I, I don't know who my dad is. I didn't know who my father was. So uh, hired someone, got his name, got his social media, uh, sent him out, sent him a, a direct message. You know, just letting him know who I was and my all my accomplishments, and letting him know that I didn't need anything more than a relationship. I wanted to know who my father was because I felt like as a man for you to really know yourself you need to know both parents so i reached out to him sent him a direct message i went over to a friend's house i'm like nervous i'm waiting and then i get a, a direct message back i would love to talk to you here goes my number that was it i was like wow so i mean at least he's open so i gave him a phone call uh hour and a half later uh, i'm like man this might be my dad this is like uh, the conversation was so smooth and just so easy and it was no hard feelings it was like more like where are we going from here so uh i had a wedding actually out in uh california where he's where he's actually living in la so i was like man i'm going to be out there for a wedding uh maybe you know i can stop by you know uh, a day trip turned into a three-week trip. I was out there for three weeks uh, with my dad. I got a DNA test, uh, came back obviously 100%, and was able to, for the first time, have closure in my life, you know, just been able to, I felt complete, and just that, just that incident just made, made me even more like I said whole like it made me like okay now now I can really do anything now now that that's out the way and every I don't have to you know think about well, maybe he's in the stands or maybe he's really like maybe he's still looking up on me now. and he wasn't aware that you were his, no, his son at all there was aware. no awareness either he way was not aware wow. so it was a both so what does the rest of your family think that you it's, contacted him? Uh, I mean, he's been to my f- house for Thanksgiving. He's okay. been to my uh, mom to meet my grandmother who raised me. So uh, the family's open. The family loves this bond. And they can tell it's natural and it's real. And they're like, this is something they always wanted for me, you know, for me to have a relationship with my father, know who my father is. So... It's good just to be able to pick up your phone and call your dad and say, hey, what's going on? And just talk about life and talk about journeys and experiences and memories. So 
uh, like I said, this is month nine now that uh, I have a dad, and we just got back from Atlanta for Thanksgiving, and uh, we just got off the phone, and you know, he's doing well. So he's actually listening in California. So what's up, Dad? Well, thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, his name's sort of Gene Smith, did you say? Gene Smith, And yes. he, you got to tell people about his athletic history. It's uh, pretty high profile. Well, yes, I do thank him for his athletic ability. You know, my dad played uh, at Georgetown from 80 to 84, so played in two national championships. Basketball, we're talking? Basketball, yes. He's not a football player. but I don't think basketball. Georgetown was known for its football program, I'm so, pretty sure. Uh, played in two national <laughs> championships won one uh from what i see and from what i hear he was a crazy defender uh could guard anyone on the court and uh is the top 100 player in georgetown history so wow. i have something to be proud of so he would have played with patrick ewing he played with patrick ewing still close with patrick right now communicates with him as patrick became the head coach of georgetown so right well yeah that's right yeah he's yeah, a so coach now we're too. going to be we're going to be hitting up a we're going to be hitting up a game. Well, that's amazing. So without, I mean, a lot of uh, guys who become pro athletes, if their father's a pro athlete, the, the dad's in their life and sort of showed them the ropes. So it's amazing you both <laughs> were high-caliber athletes, yes. even though, you know, he wasn't involved in your life till now. So that's yes. that's amazing. Uh, thanks for sharing that, Kenny. No that, problem. That's, that's incredible. You're staying in Edmonton this winter? Yes, I'll You're be You're a full-on Edmontonian? I'll, I'll be a full-on Edmontonian for this offseason, yes. So as I uh, continue contract negotiations with Brock and uh, – wanting to be here so i'm i'm staying the, the full off season seeing what you guys call winter and well, uh, today is nice today is nice I'm, <laughs> i was surprised i'm surprised i'm i'm sitting here you know counting down the days for when you know you guys say when it gets really cold what's your favorite thing about edmonton favorite thing about edmonton the people people are real hard-working hard-class real people you know they can say hello how you doing? They're not stuck up. They're not walking around with their nose in the air. Just the people. The people are real. Man, good stuff there. That is Eskimos receiver Kenny Stafford. All the best to him in 2018. All right, going to be fun when we get back. You'll hear from former Canadian heavyweight champion Ken Lacusta. Best of Inside Sports on 630 Chad. This is Mark Letestu from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Hope you're having a great night. My name is Reed Wilkins. Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Ched, always love catching up with former athletes on this show. They often have the best stories. They're all uh, often a little more revealing than uh, players who are still involved in their games might be. And that's why I was thrilled to bring Ken Lacusta on the show. Uh, you probably best remember him in the 1980s, a two-time uh, Canadian heavyweight champion and still living in Edmonton and loving life. Well, first of all, I, I look for uh, with different companies and investments for companies and, uh, you know, different ideas people have and stuff like that. So I've enjoyed that for about the last 10 years. And uh, that's been going pretty good. And just keep chipping away. You know, there, there's many ways to make money and you just got to keep chipping away. Uh, you're in your 60s now? Yeah, I'm 62. Wow. Uh, I can remember, obviously, following your career mainly in the 1980s. And that was, okay, when you look back now, Ken, and when you see maybe what's happened in boxing since then, was that 
the most recent golden age for heavyweight boxing? Am I oversimplifying it, or how no, do you look I, at I that? I think that's a pretty good assessment. I think the last time Canada had anybody uh, go to the Olympics was David DeFiabon in 92. That was the last medal I think that Canada's wow. ever won the Olympics. Here we had Willie DeWitt and Sean O'Sullivan and uh, a young young guy from Vancouver there the same year in, in uh, 84. Uh, you know, a lot of the times, uh, I think it's just... But to make to to just be truthful, I think that Quebec gets a lot of the attention when it comes to boxing. They have all most of the coaches, and everybody else just has to hope they can knock someone out to get on the team, and, right. and that's what it's going to take. Are you doing any coaching? I just coach uh, one guy right now, a heavyweight here from the city. I got involved with him a couple of fights ago, and I wanted him since the start. He's nine and one, and I think he has a real good chance to uh, to to be a, a Canadian and a Commonwealth champion. I, I, he's a very good fighter. Do you, what do you like about coaching? Well, I, Mostly, uh, I like it if I get a if I get a good a good young guy that wants to listen and uh, wants to uh, become a, a a real good in his profession and and, and if we can kind of aid him and take him along through the sparring in Vegas and all the stuff it's going to take to make him a champion uh, and I get the right personality and the, and the right guy he's got a, he's got some good heart and he's he likes uh, to to improve and stuff like that I, I really like to get involved in boxing it's, it's a good sport keeps a lot of people off the streets and it's pretty good. I, I love talking about uh, boxing and, and to boxers. And, I mean, Jelena Marjanovic is a champion, obviously, who's been on the show several times. Had a couple of brothers uh, in in uh, in studio a few weeks ago. I remember one of the was uh, talk to an 11-year-old female boxer from northern Alberta who was getting involved in the sport. And, I mean, you have a, you have a team of people around you, but... I don't know if there's any other sport where it changes so much from what you can do in in practice or in sparring to when you step into the competition and all of a sudden it's like oh that it's just me and this other person here we go. Yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a real individual sport. You know, guys that I've talked to th- through the years, that's why they got involved. I remember when I uh, uh, when I talk with uh, with Mike Tyson with Willie Dewitt, both of them come up with the same thing. We want to uh, wanted an individual sport. We liked other stuff, but this is the one that really kind of stuck to us because you know with both of those guys talking to them that's the uh, same thing they said they just wanted an individual sport where they would do it and all the blame could go on them if they lost and all the glory if they win. Ken Lacusta joining us in studio and I want to talk to you about some of your connections to some of the heavyweights you mentioned DeWitt and Tyson because you know and sparred or fought a lot of them but I mean how did it start for you a young Ken Lacusta I don't know what neighborhood in Edmonton you grew up in but what's the origin story for your boxing career? Well, it started off with uh, kickboxing I started kickboxing first and I was about uh, 14 and I started kickboxing with my older brother Bill and we just you know he started showing me some stuff and I started picking up on it and I went all the way uh, in kickboxing professional kickboxing I went on to professional kickboxing and I went to number one in the world and I beat uh, I lost once a seven round decision I beat once a seven round the world cruiserweight champ okay. so we had two fights and so how, there how, wasn't, how there wasn't as much first, money how old were you when you first very like started competing like were you a well, teenager yeah, pre-teen? I think I was uh, 17 oh so you were okay so you didn't start then you were like a child prodigy no, or no, that was the kickboxing 
Okay. It was just a lot more, uh, uh, you know, you do you do a lot of kicking and stuff, which which uh, uh, helps you fight against guys who just box. But when you when you get into the boxing, they've got this down pretty well, pretty pat, where you have to uh, you have to know your ABCs for sh- pretty good when it comes to boxing because they know how to go to the body, they know how to train, they know how to do everything. So you really got to get into the the full time boxing if you're going to do it. So why did you transition from kickboxing to traditional boxing? Well, there's a lot more money in boxing. Boxing at that time, like now, the the, M, uh, the UFC and everything. There's a lot of money in it, and it's a, it's a great sport. And I, I enjoy watching UFC too. But uh, the boxing at the time, there's lots of money in it. You could make good money, and of course, you'd have to fight international to make good money. You you nowadays there's not many Canadians. Last ones that were kind of making good money at it. You know, at that time, were guys like Sean O'Sullivan and Willie Dewitt, uh, right. Trevor Burbick, uh, myself had a few paydays. But that's after that happened. The the we didn't there weren't guys who were fighting international no more. They're more more or less they just fighting around Canada. But with that being said, we have a lot of real good strong Edmonton boxers right now. We got the, those young brothers that you mentioned or the Santoro brothers. Santoro, right? Yeah. We got them. Uh, uh, we got uh, the the big guy that I that I train, uh, uh, Stanley Cermak. He's another one. He's nine and one. And I tell you, I started training him a couple fights ago, and I I think he's essential to be the Canadian and the Commonwealth champion. All he's got to do is just keep progressing and keep learning all right so i just want to go back were you because here's the thing if you started playing hockey or football at the age of 17 or baseball what like you you your odds of making pro would be like infinitesimal so were you like were you always an athletic kid or were you you playing other sports when i was a young guy and i can kind of say this right over the over the radio because my defensive partner was randy gregg Oh, nice. And I think Randy Gregg got a, uh, didn't get the goals I got. I got a lot more goals than he got when we played Pee Wee Double A. And, uh, but the thing back then was I was a lot smaller back then. And uh, back when we played Pee Wee Double A, we didn't have the face guards. We used to have to fight just like they do in the National Hockey League. And me having a, being a little bit feisty, I always used to fight all the big guys. And I was short until a grade 11. Okay. So I'd win half the time and get my butt kicked half the time. So when I when I ended up going to the awards, we, we got awards in the Pee Wee Double A. We come second in the city. And I looked over at my mom and I said, no, I'm quitting the hockey. It's just too rough. I'm getting out Wait of Wait a minute. Sport. You quit, you quit <laughs> hockey because no, it's yeah, too rough. 12, yeah. And you started kick, later started kickboxing. Yeah, later on when I grew, <laughs> I grew and started kickboxing. <laughs> so kick once ball, you yeah. grew, then you're yeah, like, once okay. I grew, I had more confidence. But I'll tell you, I'll never forget. I told my mom, I says, hey, this sport's just too rough because we used to fight just like they fight now in the National Hockey League. Like, we had no masks. We're right, yeah. Yeah, and we were just, you know, the fighting was allowed back then. That was in the, in the 60s. I think it was 1960, 65, 66 in that area, 66. Yeah, there was no and face we, shields no or face cages. Shields. Yeah, it was totally fought, different. Just yeah. like they do, and we used to intimidate, just like they do in the National Hockey League. <laughs> and our parents used to, some parents liked it and some parents disliked it. But and it, it was it was rough for me because, I, like I said, I wasn't as big as the guys in the PWA, and I was a little bit, a year but younger. But you wanted to stand but up for yourself. I would stand up yeah. for my teammates. I yeah. would do most of the fighting for the whole team. And I, like I said, I won half and lost half. <laughs> so eventually you decided maybe I'll, I'll, you got bigger. You just fight for yourself, like you, yeah. we were talking about the individual sport. But you must have always been, because like like I was referencing earlier, I mean, you can boxing, you can be in shape, you can hit a bag, you can be quick, you can jump rope. When somebody punches you, everything changes, right? Yeah, you know, that, this is the tough part. That's a very good. That's a very good question because what happens is when you get hit, you have to learn how to handle it. See, uh, when you're playing hockey. 
when the boys move up in junior and then they get guys like Cassian and guys like Lucic heading them. It's a big difference from guys that are 18 and 19 and 20 year olds. These guys are a lot stronger than men. And the same thing is in fighting. When you start to get hit with that right on the money, then you, it kind of changes the way you're, mm-hmm. you you look at it. So you have to get used to you have to get used to. You got to right? stick it with takes, the game yeah, plan, right? You gotta, like you, you can't spar lots. So you got to yeah. stick with your game plan. And and you know, I remember the best trainers in the world. I was so lucky in my career. I sparred all over the world, and I seen the best trainers like Angelo Dundee was a friend of mine, and Slim Robinson, and uh, Kevin Rooney, and all these guys. And they all had this common denominator: if you don't got a job, a jab, you got to get a job because a jab is where you win money. Uh, Larry Holmes, Muhammad Ali, Sugar Ray Leonard, they all have great jabs, and it, right. you have to have a good jab. And if you don't have a good jab, well, even Mike Tyson, 5'10", five 5'11", foot five foot maybe, you know, yep. he had a good jab. He was short, but he would wiggle around, and boom, 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 he's like a, like a fence post. He'd be driving it up to you, and you you got to have a good jab. But I think Edmonton's in good shape with boxing. we got Jelena Marjanovic, two-time or, or eight-time world champion, WBC, WBA, I meant to say. Great. I used to like to do her fights on TV for Sportsnet. Yep. And I used to say to the people, the, the viewing audience, they say, hey, this girl, when she gets hit, she gets tough and she gets going. It's like they would fire her up. They, she'd start bleeding and she'd start firing back. She's a, she's pretty, but she's tough. And I, I really admire doing her shows. And now we got all these, like I said, those Santoro brothers coming up. We got my big heavyweight. We got some good junior middleweights around the city. And, you know, Edmonton's probably the second biggest city, the second biggest boxing city in Canada next to Montreal. We oh, have most awesome, shows yeah. here and everybody kind of looks to Edmonton to, to you know, to come and fight here in the city because it's, it's a big fight town. Ken, let me ask you this. I mean, we're, we're talking about the, the game plan and, and the, all the prep. When you look back on your career, is there a section of your career or, or a fight or maybe a series of fights where you look back and say, like, that was my peak. That's where the physical and the mental game was combining to, to be the best. I, I think when I was uh, 32, 33 years old, that's probably when you're at your peak, whether mm-hmm. it's hockey. I think even hockey, you know, you can be a, if you're a, a, a real high, high-end uh, hockey player or, or boxer, I think 32 is probably the age where, you know, you feel your best. I was really strong when I was 32. You know, it really felt good. You know, when you're growing to 32, you still you look at some of these big heavyweights. Like I fought some of these big guys, and it, it's pretty tough. I remember a, a time when I fought Larry Holmes were fighting on USA Network. And here I am, a guy from Edmonton coming. You know, I come up fighting all these guys, but he was probably one of my favorite fighters of all time, Larry Holmes, right? So go into this fight now and fighting him, and we... We, we they had a big red cloth in for about 100 meters in between mine and his dressing room and the USA Network just now put the lights on and they wanted Larry to warm up a little bit prior to the fight because we were going on in about 20 minutes. So all of a sudden I see this bl- big black shadow and all I hear is pop, pop, and he's, hitting the, he's jabbing at that hand pass, pop, pop, and a big black uh, shadow and I'm thinking oh my god I quick turned away and I started putting my mind to work kind of get it on my side because it's very intimidating mm-hmm. then they come over and did me too but I always stayed in my mind how that intimidated me and, it, and in the fight he proved to be just that same guy that I seen shadow boxing and uh, he had a tremendous jab and he ended up cutting me for like uh, 16 stitches and they stopped it in the 8th round but he was a he was my favorite fighter and I got to fight him and uh, you know it was one of the nicest uh, moments ever for me because you know, everybody knows of Larry Holmes. You know, it's incredible. Absolutely. You know. We're, we're going to keep talking to Ken Lacusta. 
Great Edmonton athlete, two-time Canadian heavyweight champion, and we'll talk about your relationship with Willie DeWitt, with Mike Tyson, some of your highs and lows. Thanks for coming in, Ken. We're coming back after the break.